Reading from Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Most of us are probably unfamiliar with real famine for physical things like food. I can't remember being hungry. Can you? It must have been some time or another I was hungry, but I just don't remember being hungry because it just seems like we always had food. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have a better memory and maybe you were hungry. But sometimes maybe we said we were hungry and we would have survived quite nicely. But this is a different kind of famine. What Amos was dealing with was the fact that there was a famine for the hearing of the words of the Lord. Critical, critical to spiritual survival, to spiritual life at all, to have the hearing of the words of the Lord. We want to be able to hear God's words talk to us so that we can respond to what God says, so that we can understand it in a language that we comprehend. That's the best way that we can, we can get to heaven. We heard tonight testimonies of salvation and what it is to be saved convicted of sins, and then to repent of our sins and forsake them and accept the Lord Jesus into our lives in a real way, personally. Jesus is a personal Savior. He's individually, he's individual by individual is his concern. We gather together in a a large group, sometimes, quite often, I guess, and we may forget the fact that God speaks to you on a personal level. Just because we're with our friends and and so forth doesn't mean that God is not interested specifically in you and your concerns and your life and uh, what tomorrow may bring or may not bring. That's wonderful to know that Jesus cares about us on such a personal basis. That's not true in every case. But we're thankful it is in this case. We move rather rapidly down the road 800 years, approximately 800 years into the New Testament, into the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, we read in the fourth chapter, the 23rd verse, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Jesus was on, he was on a mission to touch lives, to preach the gospel, which he did. But along with preaching the gospel, he brought personal touch in so many places and so many people that he healed the sick. All kinds of sick folk were healed 
by Jesus when he came into their presence or when they came into his presence. And he met that need. He knew how people felt. He knew their concerns. He knew what it meant to their life. And he was there to make things better for them. Salvation certainly made things better, didn't it? When, when you turned your heart over to the Lord, that was great. And you, and you learned about uh, being prayed for when you were sick. You heard about praying when you were sick. You heard about uh, Jesus making a difference in people's lives when they called upon the Lord and, and, and the Lord touched their lives. Some people would go to bed at night and bring a church paper with them under their pillow because they felt that that worked and they'd heard other people that, that did that and, and the, the church magazines were prayed for before they were sent from here and there was a something, it wasn't spooky, it wasn't magic, it was very real. God just made something work that works for individuals, for you personally. In verse 25, that same chapter, and there followed him great multitudes of people. I don't know the time frame on this. It seems like Jesus at this point had appointed his disciples. He found the 12 disciples and they were following him. But now things were getting kind of serious. They were getting involved in ministry in the big time, in a big way. And it says there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis, which was basically 10 cities pretty much on the, the eastern side of the Jordan River. And from Jerusalem, which was around 100 miles away from Capernaum, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Sounds like a, a great company of people were heading to see where Jesus was. Doesn't it sound that way? They were coming from everywhere in that land. And I wonder, how did they hear about this? Who told them? Did they get a text? I don't think so. Did somebody personally say, I heard about Jesus and what he's doing, and I don't know him very well, but we want to go see. Let's go see. Let's go find out on our own and, 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 and be eye to eye with them. Don't you like personal interest things where you're, you're personally there and, and you can say, I was there. A number of years ago, we lived in Medford and the President of the United States was coming to Medford to campaign, I think. Anyway, back in 2003, maybe, or something like that. So I went out to the airport. Not to see him, I wanted to see his airplane. And there was a little kid standing there, or waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and, and, the, and we're looking in the wrong direction, and finally the plane come from the other direction. This little kid said early on when he did, well, maybe he changed his mind. I suppose you can do that if you're the president. But evidently they were flying around to take a look where the wildfires had been doing their number, as they seemed to do. And so he landed there. So he saw the plane land. I can say I was there. I saw it land. Air Force One. Pretty fascinating. Tax dollars alive and well. And uh, there they were. There he was. 
You know, in, in, in what we call Israel today and Jordan and that, that part of the world, it wasn't as easy to go from one place to another. If you were going to go to see somebody like, like Jesus and you didn't even know who he was, you better have a pretty good reason. You wouldn't want to walk that far. It would take probably several days in some cases for some of these people to come and, and a plan to have food and so forth. And, uh, and I don't think they were concerned about a place to stay or anything like that. They just sleep out in the open air, no doubt. But when they got there, here's where the place that uh, Jesus is going to speak to them. Maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they didn't even know what he was going to do. The disciples were there, and did they know what a disciple was? Did they know what a follower of Jesus was? Everything was kind of kind of mysterious in a way, but kind of curious. It's interesting sometimes to see something that you're curious about. Just want to know for yourself to go and see. And, and you, 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 in our case these days, we get in the car and we drive for hours to go to see something that we're interested in. But they had to walk in most cases for sure and to get there. And they'd heard about this one Jesus. What was it all about? And they get there and to this place in the scriptures in Matthews refers to this particular area as the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon is not mentioned in the Bible. I had to look that up. It's not in the Bible. There might be a reference to a message, but the, they consolidated and they used the word sermon, which means probably basically the same thing. People say they sermonize and so forth. Well, they came and in the fifth uh, chapter, it's kind of the opening to the Sermon on the Mount, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus had come with a purpose. What an incredible time this must have been. However, they lived in horrible times. The Roman oppression in that land was terrible. It was life and death in some situations. It was not, not a friendly time with their government that had controlled everything. They gave away pieces of land to their relatives in that, in that ruling family at times. And I, I, one part to you and another part to another and so forth. Kind of different, isn't it? You can imagine if somebody came in and said, okay, you can have Wyoming, you know? That's yours, you know, when you've inherited Wyoming. And uh, the rest of you can stay there in Oregon and, and so forth. But this was different. This was really different, different times. No doubt, and it's been said if you read some of the commentaries, that it was probably their idea of a Messiah, which that was another subject. This Messiah would come, someday would come for the Jews and for whoever, I guess. But the Messiah would come, but they, they had a mis, I, missed idea as to what the Messiah would do. They were thinking, some of them, that he would solve the Roman problem. Jesus didn't come to solve the Roman problem. He come to deal with the sin problem. Much bigger problem than the Roman problem. 
Nations rise and fall, but sin is a constant so often passed on from generation to generation and has to be dealt with. Jesus come to set the captive free from their sins. And he spelled that out very mightily. I wondered, you know, we come into a beautiful church, nice place to gather. We can sing songs, have incredible preludes. We can sing together part of the time we sing. We enjoy this. This, that's person-to-person person stuff that we get to do here. And it, it's great. But I was wondering, I was thinking about Jesus. You know, he'd feel kind of locked into a pulpit, I have an idea. I don't know why I think that, but I just think that. I was thinking, Brother Al's about 20 feet away from me. And that's a long ways away, actually. It'd be nicer if we were closer, you know, so you can... You know, we have our bifocals. We can see you sort of, but there's lights blaring in our eyes up here if you didn't know that. You've heard about being in the spotlight. It's not as much fun as you think. The spotlights, they kind of blur everything. But Jesus, I got a feeling he'd want to get down to where the people are. He was a people person. He cared about people like us. He was interested in every one of us. We know that. But he was interested in every one of these people that had come from quite a distance for some of them to see what was going on. What's up with this Jesus? And they came. I think Jesus was a great communicator. When he spoke to fishermen, I think he talked about fish. When he talked to the farmers, he talked about soil. He talked to the merchants. Probably talked about merchandising and how to do things like that. In our day and age, we'd probably talk to the young young guys and say, how was that basketball game the other night in the activity center? Everybody survived. There was a group over there on Thursday night, too. I think they were girls. I don't know what they were doing, but they were there, too. People like to get together with people, even in our day and age. We like to be with one another and share stories that make absolutely no sense, doesn't matter, but we get a chance to share stories one with another and have a good time. Sometimes when you get old enough, you can even drink coffee when you're doing that storytelling thing. There's a song, I think it's in our hymn book too. It says, nearer still nearer, close to thy heart, draw me my savior. So precious thou art. Somebody wrote that song. They understood what it meant, evidently. That Jesus wants to be near, and we want to be near to him. If we can somehow realize that, that, that the Lord is like right next to us, even in church, even out of church, that he comes close by. Because back then, he wanted to heal the sick. There's probably people that need a touch from the Lord. Physical touch. You're tired of that old pain or problem or whatever it is. And you want Jesus to meet that need for you. Be wonderful if he'd meet that need tonight. That'd be great. Jesus spoke to the hearts of people. 
It was a heart-to-heart relationship. When Jesus gets close to you, there's something that responds in our heart. We can feel something or recognize that it's, it's, it's something wonderful, something real, something holy, something pure, something good. Jesus wants to be that close to you and me. He wants nearer, still nearer, close to thy heart. We want that, don't we? We want the Lord to be close to our heart. We want to walk with him and talk with him. I think of those uh, men that were walking that day after Jesus had risen uh, from the dead. He was alive again. And they were walking with him. They were walking with, Jesus was walking with them. But they didn't know it was Jesus. They didn't realize it. And here they are walking with the Son of God risen from the dead. And they didn't even know it. But they felt something. After he vanished from their sight, evidently, they realized something was definitely different about that. That was real. Jesus is real. He's personal. He's interested in us. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that he's interested in me, myself. It's not just everybody else, but he included me. I'm, and I'm glad, really. And you're glad that he included you. It was personal to him. You get into the Sermon on the Mount, which we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters in the book of Matthew. I'm thinking to myself, how did Jesus talk to the people that would take three chapters in the Bible? Here's my suspicion. I think he was there for several days. Why not? There, He got down with the people. You can't talk to a whole multitude of people at one time. They didn't have this fancy equipment. You'd have to yell, and that's no fun yelling. But he would get down with the people and the disciples and teach and they would get one thought across and then maybe they had a chance to ask questions of Jesus and say you know I that's a great idea but I don't understand can you explain that again I'm a little slow catching on no doubt they would pass the word around and then the next person could talk to somebody else and say I understand it now what he was talking about but he's going to be there tomorrow too sometime let's get back there let's get a good place so we can see him Maybe he'll come by our part of the group to tell us something really important. I looked through, just, I I was curious, thinking, how would you preach from these three chapters? And I I looked through the fifth chapter and I thought, well, there's about 10, uh, no, 20, 20 sermons in the fifth chapter. So if you figure something like that in the next couple of chapters, it takes over a year to preach just those from those three chapters in our way of doing things these days. Jesus probably didn't take that long. But he could tell those stories. He could tell those things that were powerful, that would get them out of this thing of not hearing, of being in a famine spiritually, that they could be set free from that and to know something that was true that would change their lives. Jesus wanted to do that for those people, and he's done it for us too. The very last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount is chapter 7, and at the last part, it speaks of this fact here. Look at this. 
And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. They were shocked. They had not heard anything like this before. This was extremely unusual. They were astonished at Jesus' teachings. What he was teaching, it surprised them. And I think it surprised them in a very good way. Verse, uh, the last verse says, For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. I picture a scribe being able to read from a teleprompter. You know, they look over here and read, and then you look over here and read, and it means nothing to them. But to Jesus, it meant everything. What he had to say meant everything. He didn't need notes. He could preach from his heart. It was his life he was talking about and what the life could be in people's lives, how it could change their lives. And he could speak them for however long it took and tell them because he taught them as one having authority. He had that privilege. He could talk with authority and say, you know, I can change your life. And they believed it. You know, I can turn things around for you. And they believed it. You know, I can touch your life and you can be healed. And they believed it. They believed Jesus on the things they needed to believe. And we can do the same thing. We believe what Jesus said then. We believe what he said to our hearts tonight. We believe because we know how much good it does. You know, when the Lord does something good in your life, it's amazing how you want to bless somebody else. And you want to tell the whole story, and sometimes you just don't have enough time, but that's okay. We want to tell what we can tell, because it's a good story to tell. We're going to sing now 567. I don't think they had altars of prayer over there on that mount there outside of Capernaum. It probably wasn't quite that convenient. I don't know if they went to prayer. I don't know if they had, had that part taught to them yet. But we've had it taught to us, and it's powerful good. It's a place to come and expect God to bless. We believe that God will bless tonight. Let's have a time of prayer together. Sing 567. <laughs>